When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. If you're involved in animal agriculture in the state of Wisconsin, you might want to write down the dates. Tuesday, February 2nd through Friday, February 5th, that's when we're going to have our annual conversation and updates for our CAFOs in the state. Those are the concentrated animal feeding operations, the larger size uh, herds, both dairy and beef, that we've got, and hogs around the state. And joining us to give us a preview on some of the conversations that will be happening through the course of those four days is Kevin Erb with University Extension uh, Service. And these these are regular conversations that you organize every year, uh, Kevin. What's different for the producers to consider in 2021? Well, I think the big thing that's different, of course, this year because of the pandemic situation, we're doing this remote. So I uh, used to joke that guys don't have to hop into the shower to come to the meeting this year because they don't have to have the camera on. Uh, they can just sit by their phone or in front of their computer. I have a few guys that actually plug the uh, laptop into the TV so they can see things more easily on a big screen. But I think that's one of the big differences is that February 2nd to 5th series is going to be 9.30 until about 11.30 each of those mornings. And um, you can don't have to leave the chores early to get to Green Bay or Rice Lake or to one of the nine sessions we typically do, but you can since come as you are. And I think the other big thing is that we've kind of split things up. So the first day... I've got some guys and ladies picking and choosing which days they go to, but the first day is really for those farms that want to learn more. Maybe they're thinking about expanding to permit size. Uh, They're thinking, you know, in the next year or two, I'm going to be thinking about that expansion, getting there, or maybe they're already there or think they may be. It's really an opportunity for them to get some of their questions answered and to hear from some farmers that have gone through the process recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has much changed about the process, Kevin, or is it just a matter of trying to make sure we're more efficient this year than last? Well, it's been probably four or five years, Tam, since we did one of these workshops specifically targeted just to folks that are thinking about that permit for the first time. So February 2nd is the date for those folks, and then the other dates are really for those folks that already have their permits in place. But the CAFO permit process has not changed that much, but the key thing is there's a lot of things that you as the farmer can do before you apply for that permit, things to I's to dot, T's to cross, that really are going to make the process easier and maybe shave several months off the process or save tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars by taking care of things before you get to that point. Well, and what I really like about that first day is you've got farmers that have lived it that can share their practical experiences. That There's nothing that can replicate those kinds of conversations. Right. I always like to say when I'm doing the workshop on a farm, you know, if a tornado came through today, God forbid, wiped out all the buildings, even took out the concrete, and yet a bare ground site, what would you do differently? And typically about every farmer will rattle off three or four things. Well, I wish... This silo or this bunker have been over here. I wish I would have done this differently. And before you invest the money, learning, like you said, Pam, from the experience of farmers that have been through this before is a real benefit. And so I encourage folks, if you're thinking about expanding, you're already at or near that permit size but don't have a permit, this is going to be a session that's going to be well worth your while.
Now, we talked about how this year there's four different days of conversations happening between 9.30 and 11.30. Am I supposed to sign up for all of them, Kevin? Can I pick and choose? How do you want to approach uh, the registration side? So we've got an online registration, and basically you fill out a form and you say, I want Tuesday and Thursday, or I want Monday and Tuesday, or you want all the days, and it's $10 for one session, or $20 if you want two or more. And so we're trying to make it as easy for people as possible. All right, let's move on to day number two, and that really is another one that should be catching people's attention. On February 3rd, you're focused in on nutrient management, and that obviously is a, a major staple of all of our CAFOs across the state and how they're being managed. A couple topics that catch my attention, how we're managing manure on tiled fields, and then you're going to get involved in uh, sharing some knowledge that we've gained because of some accidents that did occur. Yep, and so that first topic, that managing manure and tile fields, really we're talking about looking at the fields, obviously, before you spread, trying to make sure you know where those tile blowouts are, the tile inlets, uh, but also knowing about the risk. And we know that when the manure solids content is less than 2.5%, that's when our risk is the highest. And so not only are DNR staff going to be talking about, hey, here's the typical things that are really going to prevent problems, but Discovery Farms is coming in and talking about some of their research and their experience as well in terms of keeping manure out of our drain tile. An important uh, study that you have helped to spearhead along with Rachel Osterhaus from UW-Platteville, we have, unfortunately, unfortunately, had manure spills occur in Wisconsin and across the upper Midwest. You guys have winnowed in on some of the facts behind those spills, and we'll be sharing that on February 3rd, too. Yep, and Rachel is actually the third student that I've had working on a project like this. Every five years, we sit down, we go through all of the records we can get of manure spills, what happened, why, and then we really look at what changes manure haulers and farmers can make to prevent problems in the future. And so we looked at more than 500 different spills that occurred between 2015 and 2019. Obviously, we had challenges this year um, getting into uh, offices to look at paper records, so the data is not as complete as I'd like it to be. But we did see some fairly interesting trends, and typically in the past, uh, maybe 32 34% of our manure spills in the state are related to transportation. But when we look at the last five years, that percentage is actually now up to around 45 46%. And so land application issues have remained the same. Problems at the farmstead have gone down. And so what it means is we really need to be more careful, safe driving, so we're not tipping over equipment, trucks, manure tankers, taking corners too short, getting into the um, soft shoulder a little bit, uh, but also making sure that our field conditions are right for application. And you'll be sharing that information with our professional nutrient applicators. I mean, that's that's a conversation they kind of have to have with their employees, I'm guessing. Well, it's not only a conversation the professional applicators need to have, Pam, but it's also a conversation that the farmers that are listening to us today need to be thinking about as well, because we produce somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 13 billion gallons of dairy manure in the state. Now, that's enough to cover a professional football field, including the end zones, about five miles deep. The manure applicators handle about two-thirds of that, 
but farmers are handling about the remaining third. And one of the trends we're seeing is more farmers buying dragline equipment and doing some of their own application, but still partnering with those four higher applicators. You know, you mentioned how farmers are investing in those drag lines. I always, I would have thought when it comes to manure spills that it might be equipment failure. You know, uh, something breaks along the line or something like that. Did you notice anything regarding those trends too? So obviously equipment failure is part of it. And when we look at some of those situations, sometimes it's maintenance. Sometimes it's clamps aren't tightened as much as they should be or we run a drag line through a culvert, and as that system is used, it vibrates, rubs against a rock or a sharp metal edge on that culvert, creates a weak spot in the uh, drag line itself. And so we do see operator error. We do see mechanical failure. But whether I'm running a drag line, I should be running that with an ATV every half hour or so, looking for small leaks or problems. If I am uh, with a tractor and tanker semi, Get out, make sure the turn signals are working, make sure that manure is not dripping out the valve at the back of the tanker. And again, that uh, specific nutrient management conversation happening on Wednesday, February 3rd. Let's go on to February 4th, where you are going to focus in more on, uh, I guess we'd have to say, production area management. Now, that's, that's, that phrase might be misleading because really what you're trying to help people understand, Kevin, is that in the state of Wisconsin, we get something called rainwater, and that can cause some real problems for these larger animal operations. Explain. Well, it, it's primarily a concern with the larger, but of course we need to be thinking about it with our smaller operations too, and that is that anytime we have rainwater that lands on that feed bunker, on those calf hutches or those areas where animals are, we've got the potential for contaminated runoff. And if I've got a large farm, I might have two or three or four acres of calf hutches and bunker silos. An inch of rain on an acre is 27,000 gallons. And I'm spending two cents a gallon sometimes to land apply manure. And so every gallon that I can keep clean and divert into a field instead of having it in the manure storage saves me money. And so we're really going to be talking about primarily focusing on what can we do that's cheap, low cost, but also some investment to really decrease manure volume by managing that snow melt, that rainwater on the farmstead site itself. And so one of our speakers in the private sector has been putting pencil to paper, working with some farms and penciling out the payback of, and this completely sounds insane, but putting a roof over the calf hutch areas. And I think people that are listening in will be surprised how quickly that type of a structure will pay for itself uh, in terms of manure hauling savings. Well, and you mentioned that somebody put pencil to paper, and then you've also got a farmer panel that will share their actual real-life experiences with those different systems. Yep, we've got farmers not only from northeast Wisconsin, but the far southwest corner of the state talking about some of the low-cost and moderate-cost things they've done around the farmstead really to reduce the amount of precipitation and rainwater that's going into that manure storage. Because every gallon that I can save means that I'm not paying to apply that to the field. And especially if we get some of these wet years like we've had, I don't want to add more liquid to a lot of these fields anyway and delay my corn planting in spring. 
Well, and that segues perfectly into our final conversation on Friday, February 5th, managing for the future. We have learned a lot over the past two, three years' time as far as uh, importance of things like cover crops and trying to make sure that we've got those adjusted water plans in place for collection. Talk to me a little bit about how you're going to wrap it all together on Friday, February 5th, Kevin. So managing for the future is that theme for um, what we're doing on the Friday, and we're really looking at, okay, what are the regulatory policy changes coming down the pike that people need to be planning for, but then thinking long-term. You know, if I want to invest the money and actually discharge treated manure water into a stream if it's clean enough, what are the permit things I need to worry about there? Um, What do I need to do in advance? But at the same time, you mentioned, you know, that whole cover crops and water quality aspect. We're going to have Kimberly Schmidt with uh, UW-Madison Extension talking about the feed value of various cover crops and especially the past few years with some of the feed quality issues we've had out there. A lot of folks have said, man, I should be baling or I should be ensiling or I should be putting in the bunker some of that cover crop, really looking at what the milk uh, impact of that is and the feed value. And kind of wrapping up then after that, We've seen some real issues with Palmer amaranth and some other things in manure that are not manure. And so kind of looking long-term to the future, what are the things we need to be considering uh, with manure management for things in that manure storage, weed seeds, uh, and other things that aren't actually manure? i got to ask you, Kevin, like you said, you've been doing this series for several years. What's the feedback when uh, producers have sat in on these conversations uh, and then go back to the farm or back to their pile of paperwork? What's been their feedback to you after they've listened to others, interacted with the DNR, which may be a very valuable first conversation? What's their reaction? So I think the number one feedback I hear has nothing to do with the content of the DNR, and that is I need more donuts. But obviously this year being virtual, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. But I think just the chance to have that open conversation, to listen to other farmers, whether they're in the panel discussion or asking questions as part of the program, being able to interact with those folks um, and learn how to do things differently, pick up a few ideas, Um, I think it's really essential. And so one of the things we're doing this year is after the session is done at 1130, we're going to be opening up the microphones, and if folks do have questions they want to ask the other farmers there or the um, panelists, the speakers from DNR and elsewhere, they're going to have that opportunity. That is a very valuable tool. Again, along with us, Kevin Herb, he is one of the keynote speakers that's helped to pull all this together from the UW-Madison Extension Service. Again, I want to remind you, uh, if you are thinking about expanding, if you have expanded, if you're just curious about the process, this is a series you want to sit in on, the annual CAFO Update Series. Again, CAFO's Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations, starting Tuesday, February 2nd, and concluding Friday, February 5th, always running from 9.30 in the morning until 11.30 in the morning. A minimal investment, $10 for one session or $20 for the series. And Kevin, if I, I, these websites that we have to try to share with people are so complicated, can they just reach out to their county extension agent and try to find out more about registering? Yep, the county extension offices, land and water conservation offices, and just about every crop consultant and engineering consultant that we're aware of in the state has a copy of the flyer. 
otherwise, they can attempt to write this down here as we're talking about it, but it's go.wisc.edu, short for education, slash, and then P, the letter P, 241, the letter P again, and 7. So go.wisc.edu slash P241P7. 